Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, I am not Jerron. Jerron is uh, with his family right now. He's got a grandbaby coming on the way, so we can celebrate with him. He's about ready to be a grandpa. With that, yeah, that's clap. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> Amen. But if I haven't met you, my name is Luke. I'm the worship pastor, so usually I'm doing the music, but this morning I'm going to um, bring God's word. I'm going to preach this morning. So I'm going to start off with a short prayer um, before we get started. Lord God, um, I pray uh, that this morning that my words would be your words, God. Lord, that your name would be lifted high, that your truth would be proclaimed, God. Thank you. For your word, thank you for this revelation that you've given us about who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So human beings, us, we love a good story. I think we are kind of hardwired to love stories. You think about just how much time as humans we spend watching TV, watching movies. Some of us read big books, some of us don't, kind of depends. Uh, we might listen to podcasts. I think it's also why we might even love uh, sports and different stuff. There's the drama, there's the heartache, all that stuff. All that has to do with stories. And at its core, the Bible is really a story. It's a narrative. And so this morning, we're going to kind of explore the overall story of the Bible, um, the overall narrative that's going through it. It all leads to Jesus. Um, and so as we, as we do this, we could kind of break up the story of the Bible into four chapters, four acts. I don't know if you guys ever been to a play, but there's different acts where you take a break. So we could think about like that there's the four acts of the Bible. The first one being creation. In the beginning, Genesis, God created everything. Then there's the fall, just a couple pages later. That's act two. Act three, which takes up the majority of the Bible, is God's redemption. And then... Act four, what started in creation, ends in a new creation, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. So we have creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. So as we look at this, let's start at the very beginning, if you will. Open your Bibles with me. Let's go to Genesis 1.1. Genesis sets the foundation for what we know about God, what we know about our what we know about his creation. So Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a very simple sentence, but uh, very profound. A lot of stuff going on there. There's nothing that exists that God did not create. There's nothing that is outside of his control that he does not sustain, that he does not hold together. God is the architect. He created all things, but he himself is not created. He is eternal. And we get a little bit of a picture of who God is. Just a a verse later, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. (laughs) Uh, The face of the waters. And here we see a glimpse of the Trinity. Um, God We learn this throughout the rest of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We see this clearly laid out. But God is eternal. He is three in one, one God, but in three 
equal persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And right here, the very beginning of the Bible, we see a picture of this. So God created all things. Everything that he created, after he does that, after that day of creation, it says, and it was good. And at the end of all things, it says, it was very good. Everything that God created is good. And that reflects the goodness of the creator. And at the, kind of the climax, the, the pinnacle of his creation is humanity. So let's take a look uh, just a little bit further on in Genesis 1:26. This is where God makes humanity. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's something uh, really important going on here. God has made humanity in his image. And uh, there's been arguments about what exactly that means. But I think in the context of this verse right here, to be made in the image of God is to have dominion over the earth, to have rule over the earth. See, God created humanity as, in a sense, his co-rulers to rule underneath him. God is king. He always has. He always will be. But he created humanity to share in his creation, to share in his rule over creation. And so this was what God created humanity to do right from the beginning, to be responsible for his creation, to rule over it, to have dominion, to go out and to share in God's rule of his creation. Um, and kind of out of this flows just, you think about all of human life, we think about culture, we think about maybe art, music, agriculture, all these different kind of things, animal husbandry. We go further on, we see that um, Adam names all the animals, all this different kind of stuff flows out of this command of God to have dominion, to subdue the earth, to rule it like God would have it be ruled. God is a just, loving ruler, and this is what humanity is supposed to share in him with. This is a relationship that we have with God, a call that we have from God. This was God's will for humanity. So right from the start. But just a page later, we get into, we're going to keep moving along in our story, we get to the next chapter the fall. So Genesis 3, I'm sure we all know this story. You can take a look at that. I won't necessarily read specific verses from it, but the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They go against God's command, and they fall into sin and into darkness. Death enters into the world. Um, and this has cosmic consequences. It's not just a, a small little thing, but it affects all of creation. So in Genesis 3.14, God curses the serpent because of what he has done. Because the serpent and the humans have rebelled against God, since they have gone against his ways, they are cursed. The serpent is. And then Adam and Eve will suffer the consequences of the fall. 
And um, I think I don't have to necessarily lay out for you what it means to live in a fallen, broken world. <laughs> I think we all, fortunately, are very aware of what that means, um, the world that we live in right now. But right there in Genesis 3, there's already a glimmer of hope. Right after the fall, we have Genesis 3:15. God is speaking to the serpent, the one that has deceived Adam and Eve, and this verse right here, 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um, now, just on its own, if we don't know the rest of the Bible, this could, is kind of a, what is going on here is kind of a weird verse. But um, looking forward, this is talking, this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to destroy evil, who's going to make things right. So right from the beginning, God has a plan to redeem his creation, to redeem a people for himself. So as we continue, that's the, called the proto-evangelion. That's a, that's a weird word, but it basically means pre-gospel, proto-gospel. The word evangelical that sometimes Christians call themselves, that means a gospel person. And so evan, evangel, that's uh, the gospel. And so this is the pre-gospel, a foreshadowing of what is to come. So as we go through the book of Genesis, we've, just, uh, we've talked about there's the creation where God made all things good, where he made his people to dwell with him in a garden, in a creation where they could be in a relationship with him, where they could rule underneath his perfect reign. And then we see the fall where things are tragically messed up, where people rebel against God, Adam and Eve. And then moving on, Genesis 3 through 11, really, those, all those chapters really outline the sinfulness of every human heart we see um, leading to the flood in all these chapters, just things descend. They do not go well. And in the Tower of Babel, we also see that the nations, that all of the peoples are separated. So there's both a kind of a personal sinfulness and also just all of human society is broken apart, is sinful. But continuing, um, thinking about our next, our next chapter, so there's the fall in chapter 12 of Genesis, there's the call of Abram. You might know him as Abraham, but his name is not Abraham yet. So let's go to Genesis 12. And this really, I mean, we already kind of talked a little bit about redemption, the start of that. But this is really the beginning of seeing God's plan to redeem. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that your name will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that, uh, that, that line right there, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, this tells us um, part of God's heart or his mission, what God is doing in the world, that through the seed of Abraham, the person that would come after him through Abraham, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And actually, even Paul calls this once again a kind of a, a pre-gospel. In Galatians 3, he talks about this very instance and says that the gospel 
was told to Abraham in advance um, when he said, all the people of the earth shall be blessed. So here we see the seed, the start of what God is doing, what God wants. He wants all the peoples of the earth to be blessed. And so now we're going we're gonna to zoom through. <laughs> Though there's a lot of Bible here, but we're going to talk about Israel who comes out of Abraham these are people that God has redeemed out of Egypt, out of slavery. Um, we probably all know this story that the Exodus, that God saves the people of Israel out of, from slavery and Exodus. These are the people that are the seed of Abraham with there. And God calls them out of, out of Egypt, makes a covenant with his people, Israel. And uh, in, this, in this covenant, we see that Israel really has two purposes as a people. They are to be a people that are set apart. Um, another way to say that is a holy people, people that are, are different from the world, people that are called to be holy for God. And they're also to be God's representatives in the world. Um, Exodus 19.6 really kind of lays this out there. It says that there would be a kingdom of priests, so those are... So a priest is somebody who represents God and a holy nation. They're supposed to represent God to the whole world, and through them, the promise that was made to Abraham that the nations would be blessed would be fulfilled. Um, and if you're at all familiar with the story of the Bible, we know that there's some ups and there's some downs with the people of Israel, but ultimately, they fail to represent God to the world, to be a holy nation, to be set apart. Um, they worship idols instead of worshiping the one true God who has revealed himself, who has made a covenant with them. They are unjust to other people, they, and they, uh, they don't take care of their land. There's a lot of stuff, but in the end, they do evil in God's sight. And um, just from, from a worldly perspective, maybe from our perspective, we might look at this and see, man, God failed. Like, he had these people, and they, they didn't live up to what they were supposed to do. Um, but God did not fail. In spite of Israel's failings, God's plan to bless Abraham, all the offspring, um, to bless the, sorry, the people of the world <laughs> through Abraham's offspring, it still remains. Uh, this was not a failure on God's part, but in a mysterious way, um, God's sovereign purpose is still going to be accomplished out of Israel, so out of this people would come a Messiah that would fulfill everything that Israel had failed to do. So Israel is supposed to be a representative of God to the world, and he's supposed to be, they were supposed to be a holy, set-apart nation. And this coming Messiah would fulfill that. Uh, maybe some of us have heard the word Messiah, and we actually don't know what it means. It means literally, though, in the Hebrew, it means anointed one, one anointed with oil. So a king or a priest, when they were given that position, they would be anointed with oil, and it would signify their position as someone that's holy or set apart with that. And so really when we say Messiah or Christ, Christ is the, is the Greek word that we see in the New Testament for Messiah. That really means an anointed king. The coming king is a way to understand that. So we see that the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, they point towards the coming salvation of God, of the coming of a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 talks about this, who would save God's people, would spread his salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Um, and we see this, like I said, clearly laid out in Isaiah 53. And the Old Testament ends, the very last book of the Old Testament ends talking about the day of the Lord, which is a theme all throughout the, the Old Testament. This is a, a day of the Lord is a time where God will judge the wicked. He will do away with evil, where his kingdom will come and his kingship will be acknowledged by all people. His rule and his reign will be manifest on the earth. Israel waited expectantly for this day, for when God would redeem them and when he would keep his promise. So even though they had failed, they knew that God was faithful and that he would keep his promises to them and to be a blessing to all the nations. So in this plan of redemption, we now come to the center, the climax, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King. The story of Jesus is, is a beautiful one, um, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a wonderful one. But just to sum up some of the stuff, God enters into his creation. So God, like I said earlier, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second person of the trinity enters into his creation, becomes man, and is both truly God and truly man. This is called the incarnation. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus, he fulfilled all the Old Testament types, all the prophecies, yet often in kind of a surprising way that the Israelites did not expect. Um, Jesus, he came in the flesh. He came to save his people and to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 that we've talked about. He came to be the one who comes to bear the sins of his people, the one who comes to bring God's justice and establish his rule throughout the entire earth, all of creation. And so uh, this kind of this idea, this is a big part of what we mean or what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. In almost all the gospels Jesus talked, or in all the, all, almost all the gospels, he started off his ministry by saying, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is in hand. We see this in Mark 1, uh, 14 through 15 where Jesus begins his public ministry with this very declaration. And so with Jesus' ministry, in a very new and special way, God's rule, his reign, his power, his kingship is being shown on the earth. God's mission is going to be accomplished through Jesus. All the people of the earth will be blessed through him. And just a, so maybe something we're thinking about um, as we're talking about the kingdom of God and how there's a special new way that it's being manifest when Jesus comes. Um, we also need to acknowledge that God always has been king. He always will be king. This is very clear in the Old Testament in places like Psalm 93. And let's, let's turn to there right now. Just read the first part of Psalm 93. Psalm 93, 1 through 2. Verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. 
And there's a lot of other Psalms, a lot of other places in the Old Testament that talk about God's reign, his rule, his power, how he created all things, how he holds all things together. And yet, living in this fallen world, there is a tension there. Um, I think that we all can at least have probably thought about this. If God reigns, if he rules, why does evil exist? Why do the things that um, we suffer in this world, why do those things happen? And the Bible readily acknowledges this. If we just turn to the next psalm, Psalm 94, this is um, people crying out to God. Let's start at verse 3. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and they afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And so we see that the people of Israel knew that things weren't right. They acknowledged this, they lamented, and they cried out to God, God, come save us, make things right. We know that you're good. We know that you're king. But there's all this going on. So they longed for God's redemption, for him to bring his justice, for all the world to acknowledge God and his holiness, his rule, and his reign. And in Jesus Christ, God's mission of blessing all the nations is accomplished. God's mission of destroying evil, doing away with it, is accomplished. Through Jesus, God's will is done. God's mission of reversing the fall is being accomplished through Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. Jesus healed the sick. While in his earthly ministry, he gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead, and he preached good news to the poor. He came to set the captive free. And we are all captive to sin, to death. All people need God's redemption. So Jesus' miracles and his preaching, his life, fulfilled the prophecies from the book of Isaiah and the rest of the Old Testament. He perfectly kept God's law. He never gave in to temptation. He never sinned. Jesus truly was God's Messiah, the anointed king, who would perfectly fulfill promises of God and bless all the nations. Second Corinthians, I love this verse, just says that all of God's promises have their yes in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem a people for himself and to reverse the curse of the fall. We see in the fall that we were spiritually separated from God, that we were as sinners, but we couldn't be in the presence of a holy God. We see that physically death entered into the world, that people die, that things are not as they should be. We see that as a society, as individuals, our relationships are broken, and Jesus comes to reverse all of these things. Jesus was the one that Israel was waiting for, the one that would bring healing to the nations. But Jesus' way of conquering, his way of ushering in the beginning of God's kingdom, it didn't fit with what much of the Jewish people expected. You know, the Jewish people had been ruled by a lot of different people, by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and at the time of Jesus, they were ruled by the Romans, and they were under Roman rule, under oppression from them. 
and the, the Jewish people were really looking forward to a Messiah that would come and conquer them militarily, would conquer Rome, and would set up uh, Israel as a sovereign nation at that time. But God's way um, at that time was not that. God's way involved a suffering, crucified Messiah. This was not what they were expecting. Um, but God's purposes, God's plan, God's mission was bigger than just defeating Rome. He came to set people free from their sins, to defeat the powers of darkness. Um, Apostle Paul puts it like this, or actually this is Apostle Peter. <laughs> it's in First Peter. Let's look at First Peter. Geron <laughs> always does that too. He says, let's look at Apostle Paul, and then he reads Peter. But First Peter <laughs> 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that's a, that's a quote from Isaiah 53. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So Jesus, who's the king of the universe, the second person of the eternal triune God, who's the beginning and the end, freely went to the cross and gave himself up in our place. Humans have all fallen short of God's glory and deserve the punishment of eternal death. But instead of death, everyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are given the free gift of eternal life, a gift of God's grace. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who comforts us, who guides us, who leads us. And by Jesus' blood, we are justified before God. We are given Jesus' holiness, who kept the law perfectly. And now we are able to be in a relationship with God himself. Um, and this looks back to the relationship that humans had with God in the garden where we walked with God in the cool of the day. God's mission, his will, is fulfilled in Jesus, the Christ, the King. But we can't stop at just the crucifixion. The story keeps going, and every Easter we celebrate that Jesus is risen. Really, every Sunday <laughs> we celebrate that Jesus is the risen King of Kings, He's alive. Um, I just, there's an old song. Uh, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. That, that, just that, that celebration that man, Jesus Christ is alive. Three days after his crucifixion, he rose up from the grave. He conquered death and the powers of evil and darkness. Um, the Bible tells us that he disarmed the evil powers that had temporary control of this world. And so, um, we know that God is king, but in God's plan, he has allowed evil powers to have certain control over this world, but that's not how things are going to remain. That's not how things are going to be in the end. And with Jesus' death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, he has disarmed these powers, and God's power is going out into the earth. And now Jesus, he's ascended, so he's with God. He's at the right hand of God the Father, and he's reigning, he's ruling, and interceding for his people for us right now. 
Jesus is truly the king, having conquered by the way of the cross and his resurrection. And after he rose again, before he left to go be with, his, um, be with the Father, he commanded his disciples to do a very specific thing. So let's, let's turn to the end of the book of Matthew, I believe, Matthew 28. Hopefully you've heard this before. This is a really famous, called the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Thank you guys for looking at so many verses with me. We are jumping all over the place today, but I'm hoping that as we look at all these things, that as the people of God, we can get a big picture of what God is doing in the world and what he has called us to do to partner alongside him in his mission. So this is Matthew 28, 6, or let's start actually at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, so this is after the resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I, I just love that, that, that promise there at the end. God will never leave or forsake us. So we see here, all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. He holds the keys to death in Hades, and he is going to make all things new. And he calls his people to go out into the world and fulfill that promise that was made to Abraham, that call that was made to Abraham, that all the peoples of the world would be blessed by his seed, who is Jesus. And so as the people of God, we are called to go out and to make disciples, to make people who follow Jesus. Um, and so discipleship involves evangelism, telling people about Jesus, telling people about the gospel, that they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but also involves what we're doing right now, what we do on Sundays, um, what we do during the week where we build each other up, where we learn more about God, where we grow in our knowledge of what God has commanded us to do, what he's told us to observe. And so this, this is a big picture of what discipleship is. Um, and just as, as a church, this has to do with what our, our mission statement is, that we are, want people to go into an, an ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And then also what Pastor Bo has been working on out in the, the board out there, you can see there's the discipleship pathway, and in your bulletin you can see those different marks there. So as, as disciples of Jesus, we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus is. We build each other up, and we call other people into this big story, this story of creation, of fall, of redemption, and what we're going to get to soon, new creation. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. We'll go back to 1 Peter. We were already there. But this is just a, a, another way of thinking about who we are and what we've been called to do. And uh, this should sound familiar as we read this. It should sound like what, um, what Israel was called. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possession that you may that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as the people of God, we are called into God's mission of blessing the nations. We are people that are set apart, that are supposed to represent God in our lives, in our daily, everything that we do. Um, we're supposed to call people into this story. And we're supposed to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. And so proclaiming the excellencies, that's something we do when we sing worship songs. It's something we do when we read scripture. It's something when we talk about God, who he is, and what he's done with that. So this is a, man, a great thing to think about. What are we doing as Christians? Proclaiming excellencies. God's glory, his majesty, the gospel of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we could be here all day talking about redemption, um, but let's move on to the last chapter. So we've had creation, at fall, redemption, and move on to new creation. And there's definitely a lot of overlap here um, with redemption. These two chapters, they kind of, there's, a, there's portions of them that overlap um, because 2 Corinthians says that all who are in Christ are a new creation. So spiritually right now, when we say yes to Jesus, when we are born again by the Holy Spirit, we are made a new creation right now. We are justified before God um, spiritually. But we also know that we still die, that the world is still suffering, that there's still evil in the world. And so we look forward to, like when, uh, when Elder John was talking about, we look forward to Jesus' second coming when things will be made new when he will bring his judgment on the earth, where he will judge the wicked and vindicate his people. And that might sound, um, for somebody that's not in Jesus Christ, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't follow him as Lord and Savior, that's, that's not a good thing. But for those who are in Jesus Christ, there's nothing better. We look forward to his salvation, to his coming. Um, the... The season that we're about to enter into, Advent, actually starts next Sunday. And really, we remember in Advent, you remember Jesus' first coming when he came as a baby and remember his life. But we also look forward to Jesus' second coming. And these are kind of, the, we live in this tension in between those two things right now. Where Jesus has come, the kingdom has been, maybe you could, we could say inaugurated that people are entering into the kingdom of God. God is making a people for himself, but we know that the kingdom hasn't come in its fullness. There's still sin, there's still death in the world. So these things won't be completely done away with until Jesus returns. Um, but with his return, he will decisively do away with evil. All people will be resurrected physically, either to eternal death and separation from God or to eternal life in a new heavens, a new earth. In the book of Revelation, one of my, my favorite passages, there's a, a scene where there's people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in heaven worshiping God. And this is a scene of the fulfillment of God's mission that we talked about with Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth. There's people from every tribe all around the world who are praising God, the King of Kings. They are praising the king of the universe with the heavenly host, with all the angels. And in this new creation, um, the creation itself will be remade, renewed, however we want to think about that. 
there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. God's salvation will be fully revealed, um, and everything will be finally set free from the curse of sin, from death, from destruction. Um, We started with the first two chapters of the Bible. Let's turn to the last two. Let's turn to Revelation 21 and think about how this corresponds with what we've been talking about. Revelation 21, verse 1. We won't read all of this, but we can get a small glimpse of what's going on here. So after evil has been defeated, after the snake has been crushed, we talked about in Genesis 3, he's been thrown into a bottomless pit. God brings his new heavens and new earth. Evil has been done away with. So verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Um, Just personally right here, this verse has given me a lot of hope in my life when terrible things have happened. I would recommend going and looking at what God's ultimate plan for his creation is. This vision of a new heavens and a new earth. This is a beautiful picture of God's mission being fulfilled. Evil is done away with. We've been talking about that. God dwells with his people in a redeemed, a new creation. Um, Once again, we started in a garden where God was with his people, and we end in this new creation, in the new city, a new Jerusalem, where everything has been built up, where people dwell with God in perfect peace, perfect harmony. His kingdom has truly, fully come. So God dwells with his people um, in this place, and this is really, um, I've heard it said, and I I think this is true, a new beginning, um, a new beginning that we can't even imagine. God's people will have all of eternity to enjoy him, his new creation, and his rest, his Sabbath rest for his people. So we've just ran through, um, just went from beginning to end, didn't read every page, obviously. <laughs> but I'm hoping that as, man, as, as people that have been redeemed, that are part of this story, that we can use this, maybe when you're talking to somebody about God, the gospel, what God is doing, use this image of creation, of the fall, of redemption, and new creation, and invite people into this story, invite people um, to show them what God is doing and that God is going to make all things new and invite. They want to be part of this with that. So as we share the gospel, as we talk to people about God, let's do that. Let's, let's tell people the big story of what God is doing, what he wants his people to do. He wants them to make disciples of all nations. Um, God's mission is that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And uh, we know that God will use his people to accomplish his purposes.
Let's proclaim his excellencies. Uh, let's worship him. Let's live lives for his glory. Will you please stand? Lord God, we thank you um, for, for this story, God. We thank you that you are a God of redemption, that you are making all things new, Lord. Lord, would you give us a heart to share the gospel of grace, to share what Jesus has done with other people. God, help us to understand the big picture, to know that you are going to win in the end, Lord, that you are going to make a people for yourself, Lord. Help us to to be a people of your mission, of your will, of your kingdom, God. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.